I'm wondering if there's anybody here that has ever done anything in your life that you're, you're ashamed of. Anybody out there done anything you're ashamed of? Yeah, that's all of us. I'm raising my hands. Um, my, my, yeah, my hands, right? Both. I, there's lots of things I've done, okay? Uh, since it's all of us, just go ahead and turn to the person next to them. Tell them, like, what you did, right? Tell them what you did. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? Uh, someone's brand new to CCB going, what kind of church did I just walk into? You know, we don't roll that way. And by the way, we're crazy honored if you're new. We hope, we hope you, you find CCB home for you. But I have done not just one thing. I have done many things I'm ashamed of. I'm going to tell you one today. And for the record, this one's pretty safe, okay? Um, when I was a 16-year-old in high school, um, I was dating this girl that I was pretty into, and Valentine's Day was coming up, so I went to a jewelry shop, and I spent a bunch of money to buy this little teeny gold pendant that was shaped as a key, like a key you put into a door, and I wrapped it up, and I wrote this, I mean, I really thought about this, I wrote this note, and what I wrote to her is I said, this is the key to my heart. <laughs> I know. I know, crazy romantic, right? Um, well, a few years later, it didn't work out. We broke up, okay? We broke up. And so fast forward, I'm now a sophomore in college, and I'm dating my now wife, Jamie. But what was interesting was what happened was my ex-girlfriend that I dated in high school, I gave this key to, she's now at the same college I'm, I'm at when I'm dating Jamie. And what I found out was that this, this ex had been going around telling people I know Ashley gave, or he's dating Jamie, but, you know, he gave me the key to his heart in high school, and he never asked for it back. I mean, I, I caught wind of this, and I was, like, livid, right? Because I really like Jamie, and I knew, I'm like, why would she say that? So I tracked this girl down, and to this day, I have done, uh, I did one of the meanest things I think I've ever done, okay? So I tracked her down in this hallway, and I caught her, and I said, have you been telling people I gave you the key to my heart? And she said, well, you did, didn't you? And then I said this, do you, do you think that means anything? Are you that stupid to think that means anything to me? Do you know what you can do with that key? You can flush it, throw it away, burn it. I don't care. You mean nothing to me. I'm already feeling the judgment, by the way. I'm already feeling the judgment. Gosh, you know. But it gets worse. <laughs> then I said this. And by the way, don't ever tell anyone again that we ever dated because I'm ashamed that a guy like me ever dated a girl like you. And then I walked off. Seriously, I thought I'd feel less judgment. You know, I thought I'd feel that. I'm trying to share my, but was it, I mean, is that cruel? It's cruel. All I had to do was say, hey, that, don't tell anybody that. That doesn't really mean anything anymore. But what did I do? I wanted to say something that dug deep that could be destructive. And I was ashamed of it. And years later, I had to go back and, and even apologize that I even said that. You ever, you ever said something? You ever done anything that you're just ashamed of? I, mean, I could tell you much deeper things. That one I feel like is actually pretty safe compared to what I could tell you. I don't know what it would be for you. What, what is it for you? It could be that spring break. It could be that one night stand, that sexual escapade, the, the addiction that you've wrestled with or you continue to wrestle with. It could be pornography that's a continual struggle for you. It could be the financial debt or the bankruptcy that was really, really embarrassing. It could be a commitment you bailed on. It could be a job you were fired from. I don't know what it is from you. I just know all of us have something. 
And today, we're starting a brand new series called From Paper to Person. And here's what we're going to do in this series. We are going to make sure for the next few weeks, leading up to Easter every week, we're going to make sure that Jesus doesn't stay on a piece of paper. But he becomes personal, and his power invades every part of our life. Here's why this matters so much. You need to understand this, that Jesus' power is limited completely if you leave him on paper. If he's just some historical figure that you read about, there's no power that Jesus has in your life. But Jesus' power is limitless. I mean, it is crazy limitless in what Jesus can do in your life when you let him become personal. So we have to move Jesus from paper to person. And today, I want to show you very clearly today that Jesus came to personally heal you of all your shame. All your shame. And why that matters so much is every single psychologist, counselor, as your pastor, I would tell you this, I think almost every pastor would tell you this, that one of the most destructive forces in life is shame. It is destructive. In fact, even shame researchers um, tell us this. Uh, Brene, Brene Brown, who's, uh, her life work is kind of studying shame, she said this, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And this is why shame keeps more people from the love of God than maybe anything else. It keeps you from really experiencing real love with other people almost more than anything else. Shame is destructive. And remember, shame and guilt are very, very different. What does guilt say? Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Now think about the difference between these. Shame, guilt can be really, really good. I mean, guilt can, can compel you to actually make some changes in your life that you need to make. And it's actions-based, right? But, but shame is identity-based. You take on an identity because of something you've done or something someone did to you. And shame begins to destroy your life. You know, the tricky part of shame is that sometimes the shame we have, it didn't even come from something we did. It came from something that someone did to us. We carry shame around in our lives from something we were completely innocent of, but someone did something to us or something happened to us. This is why this has to be dealt with. Shame has to be healed in our life. And one day I'm going to do an entire series on shame. I've felt this for a while. I know this is just something we need to address. But today I'm going to take one episode from the life of Jesus. I'm going to show you a woman that was steeped in shame. I'm going to show you how Jesus healed her and lifted her out of shame, and how he wants to do the exact same thing for you. Luke chapter eight is what we'll be today. Luke chapter eight, uh, I'm gonna pick the story up in verse 42. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So just picture this. Jesus has become this reluctant celebrity. Everywhere he goes, thousands of people just, just crowd around him, and he's around the city of Capernaum at this point. You can, it's a real place at a real time. I've been there. You can go there today. The, the streets are really narrow, and you can just picture thousands of people on this real narrow street where Jesus is walking. He's on his way to heal a 12-year-old little girl at the request of her dad, and on his way, it says the crowds begin to crush in on him. So just picture that in your mind. But it says one day in the crowd that day, it says this in verse 43, it says, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and no one could heal her. 
no one. And you can't gloss past the significance of this verse because we can think, well, she's bleeding, what's the big deal? No, Luke, who's a doctor who's writing this in the book of Luke, he basically, what he's trying to tell us is this woman, let me just make it real, this woman, her bleeding, it is a nonstop, constant menstrual flow every single day and she can do nothing about it. Let's just make this real. Imagine a day and age where there's no modern medicine, there's hardly any clean running water, there's no Walgreens around the corner with feminine products or ibuprofen, and this woman, this is what she's dealing with every single day. I'll never forget when I first got married, uh, two months after I got married, I was on my way home from work and I got a call from Jamie, my wife, and she said, hey, can you stop by the store and pick me up some, some products? I was like, okay, sure. So I went, I'd never been down that aisle before. To this day, it's like the scariest thing I've ever done. You know, I mean, I'm walking down, and the thing that's etched in my mind is when I was down the aisle, I was like overwhelmed by the options. I was like, I have no clue what to get. I called Jamie, I'm like, I have no idea what to get. What should I do? Tell me quick, because I want to get out of here. You know, it's like, please understand, this woman had no options. So not only every day is she constantly bleeding, but She's in constant chronic pain, but it's so much worse than this. Please let this sink in today. In her day and age, if you were bleeding like that, all the religious leaders said you were, you were bleeding because of some sin in your past. This is on you, the reasons that it's happening. And so according to Jewish law, she was labeled unclean. And to be labeled unclean in that society was one of the most shameful things you could have. You couldn't be around anybody. She was not allowed to be in the crowd this day. Okay, she's there risking her life. She's, not, she's been ostracized from everyone and everything. Um, no one can be close to her. No one's touched her in 12 years. No one's hugged her in 12 years. No one's prayed for her in 12 years. If she was married, at this point, her husband is long gone. She's not allowed to have sexual relations at all, according to Jewish law. Her kids have probably abandoned her. And every single day, this woman sits in the depths of her shame all alone. And it says that, you know, Luke tells us that she'd, she'd gone to doctors, but no one could help her. He's being nice because Mark, who writes the same exact episode in his book, Mark chapter 5, he says she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She spent all she had. She's broke now. She's bankrupt. And yet, instead of getting better, she actually got worse. Imagine this in your mind. She's turned to everyone and everything but Jesus, and everything's got worse. I wonder if anyone here today has turned to everything and everyone but Jesus and things that got worse in your life. And you can, you can just picture the desperation she has of why she risks everything. She probably has a cloak over her head trying to hide herself. And in the crowd that day, in verse 44, it says she came up behind Jesus, sneaking up behind him because she's so ashamed and she touched the edge of his cloak. And the word touched here in the Greek, it doesn't mean to just kind of gently swipe. The word touched means to grasp, to grab hold of. And you can just picture the desperation as she just grabs hold of like, can you help? And what happens next is amazing to me because it says that immediately her bleeding stopped. Immediate. Can, can we just pause and just let, can we just pause, let that sink in for a moment. Can, imagine the power of Jesus. 
The power of Jesus that at, at one moment, immediately he heals her. In fact, there's a little nugget in this story I think you should know about. Remember, Jesus is on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl, and he intersects with a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And the number 12 is very significant here because in Scripture, the number 12 represents God's power, his authority, and his completeness. Which means there is nothing in your life that God cannot heal. Nothing. But what happens next is kind of interesting. She's healed, and all of a sudden, you want to know what Jesus' response is? The next thing we read in verse 45 is Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? Can you imagine the disciples' response? Now, remember, picture in your mind, there's thousands of people crushing. They're going, Jesus, everyone's touching you. What are you talking about? I mean, Peter, you know, pipes up, because he's always saying the dumb things, and so Peter's the one who pipes up, and he says, Master, the people are crowding around. Everyone's pressing on you, dummy. He doesn't probably say that. You wouldn't say that to Jesus. But man, he's like, are you crazy, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, Peter, you don't understand. Jesus goes on, he says, no, someone touched me because power has gone out of me. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Someone touched me in faith. I know it. And so what I think Jesus did next, remember the crowd's kind of moving, there's thousands of people, and he stops the whole entire crowd, and he just waits. Who did it? Now it begs the question, do you think Jesus didn't know who touched him? This is the Son of God, who in other places in Scripture we know reads people's minds. Do you not think he knew exactly the woman that touched him? Of course he did. Then why would Jesus make this woman who's been steeped in shame her whole entire life, why would he make her self-identify? Why would he do that? Let me, let me put it this way. Um, I'm, a, I'm a dad of three uh, daughters, and there's been times with my daughters growing up that they've done something, and um, like one of them ate all the cookies when we told them don't eat all the cookies, and I know exactly which one of them did it out of the three. And I'll walk in the living room, and one of them, you know, two of them are innocent. One of them's got chocolate all over their mouth, you know, cookies all around, and crumbs all around them. And I would look at all three of them, and I would say, which three of you, which one of you did it? Now, I already know as a dad, but why would I make them self-identify? Because, listen, there's actually power in self-identification and owning something. There's power in it. But with this woman, remember, she didn't do anything wrong. She's steeped in shame, and Jesus still makes her self-identify. Why would he do that? Hold that thought. What happens next is it says that she realized that she couldn't remain hidden any longer. She knows he's gonna find me out. So she knelt trembling before Jesus. I mean, imagine this, trembling before the Son of God. And she began to blurt out her story. She speaks her shame She says, why I touched you, Jesus, and she said, how at the exact same moment I was healed. And what happens next, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful moments in the entire Bible. Because what it shows us very clearly is what is God like when we come to him with all of our shame, with all of our brokenness, with all the mess in our life, if you came to God today with 
everything that you are utterly ashamed of and all the sin and all the secrecy, all that junk, if you came to God today, what is he like? And this woman kneeling at the feet of Jesus, the very next words out of Jesus' mouth, Jesus said to her, what? Daughter. Now you have to understand this word because it is the most endearing word you can imagine. It's probably more accurately translated, my sweet, precious, little girl. It is the only place in all of the Bible that Jesus calls someone this word. And he says it to a woman that is steeped in shame. And someone here today, in your shame, you need to hear that this is how God would address you. My son, my daughter, not stranger, sinner, woman, friend, daughter. And then he says next, my daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. And that's exactly what she did. She's not only healed physically, she's been healed from her shame and she goes in peace. And these seven verses we just walked through, they give us a template for how you can actually be healed from your shame by the power of Jesus. I wanna show you the three things today straight from scripture. If you're taking notes today, the first one will seem obvious, I promise you it's not. You wanna heal from your shame? The first thing you have to do is realize that Jesus is the answer. Now remember, this woman, her whole entire life has spent all of her money, all of her time turning to everyone and everything except for Jesus. And what does it say? Things only got worse. And it's when she turned to Jesus that things finally, finally got better. There's someone here today, you have turned to everyone and everything but Jesus to try to heal the void you feel in your life and you know it's there. It affects you, it affects your marriage, it affects your kids, it affects daily. There's something from your past or even your present right now that is eating away at you and you know it. And you continue to turn to other things. You've not fallen at the feet of Jesus, truly like fully at the feet of Jesus. And you've turned to doctors, therapists, counselors, a pill. You've started to try to numb things with a bottle or a drug or or purchases, or vacations, you name it. But if you really turn to Jesus to heal you of your shame, like if you truly turn to him, and I know what, what some people think is they think, well, I, I can't yet because my, my, my life is still a mess. I mean, I'll clean up my life first, then I can kind of get things right with God. And, and while this might seem intuitive to you, and it is kind of intuitive, you, if, if you just think about the way we live, I mean, think about how we would handle a sickness just a pure physical sickness today. If you had the flu, would you think to yourself, you know what I need to do to get over this flu? I need to get around someone who doesn't have the flu. Would you think that? No, because we all know if you have the flu and you get around someone who has the flu, you're gonna pass it to them. Is there any parent here today that would say this? You know what? My kid's been throwing up all night long, all night long. You know what I'll do? I'll bring him to CCV and get him in the nursery with other kids who haven't been throwing up and that'll heal them. If you think that, by the way, we have a list of other churches around that you can, uh, I'm just kidding, I'm joking. Every person in Jesus' day knew this. If someone that's unclean touches someone that's clean, the unclean person makes the clean person unclean. Everyone knew that. And what happens with Jesus is crazy miraculous. Because every time someone that's unclean 
approaches Jesus and touches him or engages with him, they, they become clean. And Jesus is totally clean too. This is the summary, by the way, of the gospel message. The summary is this, and this is the million-dollar question. When someone unclean touches Jesus and they become clean, what happens to their uncleanness? Where did it go? And here's the answer. Jesus absorbs it on himself. That's the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that he went to a cross to die for you and shed his blood, and on the third day he rose again because of the power of the resurrection. Jesus absorbs your sin and your shame on himself. He takes it, and guess what? He gives you a brand new identity. You become a brand new person. And this is the power of Jesus and why the, the image of, of baptism is so powerful. If you think about baptism, we're buried underneath the water to, to represent the death, burial, and resurrection, uh, death and burial of Jesus, and then we're raised representing his resurrection because when we come out of the water, we are clean. We're new. All that sin, all that shame, you can give it to Jesus. He takes it, and you're clean. And so many people think, well, no, 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 I gotta clean my life up first. No, you come to Jesus so he can clean you up. He's ready to absorb it, but you have to turn to Jesus. Have you ever turned to Jesus? It sounds simple, but it's so hard for some people. And the second thing you have to do with your shame is not only realize that Jesus can heal you, but secondly, you have to have faith that Jesus can heal you. It's, it's one thing to have a hunch you can come to Jesus. It's another thing to have faith. Now think about this story again. The woman came to Jesus and there are thousands of people in the crowd. Thousands of them need to be healed of something. Why is this one woman the one who's healed? Jesus tells us. Let's go back to Luke 8, 48. Jesus said, daughter, your, say it out loud, real loud, faith. Say it one more time, your faith. Touching Jesus did not heal her. Her faith in Jesus healed her. And it is your faith your belief, coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I know you can heal me. I know you can take this. Placing that faith in him, that's what heals you. I like how Kent Hughes put it. He said, in a sea of a million hands, Jesus will see the one raised in faith. And I guess the question for someone here today is, have you truly placed your faith in Jesus? Have you gone all in? Have you declared Jesus as the Lord of your life? And and said, I want to repent. I want to turn from my way of doing things and do it your way, God. And have you been baptized? Have you, have you drawn a stake in the ground and said, I'm placing my full faith in Jesus? And if you haven't, I'm just telling you today, today needs to be your day you make that decision. Because you cannot ever be healed from something in your past until you turn to the only person that can heal you. It takes faith. And by the way, I think the perfect time to get baptized is on Easter. We have Easter coming up. It's, it's the Super Bowl of, of, of Christianity. It's when Jesus rose from the grave. And to get baptized on Easter, I think, is an amazing memory that you'll never forget. Listen, some of you need to get baptized today. I'm just saying if you want to plan and invite your friends and family, Easter is the perfect time to do it. You can get on our mobile app or our website and sign up to get baptized on Easter. Or if you need to do it today, we're ready today. Some people think, well, can I really do it anytime? You do it anytime. You tell us. You say midnight, we're there at midnight. 4 a.m., we're there. Because nothing, nothing should stop you from experiencing the healing 
that Jesus wants to give you. So what do we have to do? We have to realize Jesus is the answer. We have to have faith. You can't just have a hunch, you need to have faith Jesus can heal you. And then the third thing we have to do, and this is where the rubber hits the road, it'll be the hardest one for many of us, Jesus shows us you have to stop hiding, be vulnerable, and tell someone you trust. Now what's he do with this woman? He pulls her out of hiding, he has her stand up, the girl that no one wanted is now accepted by a king. The girl no one wanted is embraced by the Son of God. And he has her be vulnerable. He has her tell her story. Remember what it says? It says actually, in, 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 Brene Brown put it this way, that if, if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three ingredients to grow. What are they? What's she say? Secrecy, silence, and judgment. I mean, for those of you that are hiding the way this woman was hiding, you, you, you won't even say anything about what you're ashamed about. You're just perpetuating the shame. You're hiding it, pretending like it's going to go away. But what we know from shame researchers is when you keep it in secret and there's silence and you sit in your own judgment, that's when it grows. So what's Jesus do? Jesus pulls this woman up and asks her to be vulnerable. She tells her story, Luke 8, 47. In front of all the people, she, she told her story. Jesus knew that you can't heal from your shame if you keep it silent. It's such a big point from this story because think about what Jesus could have done. Jesus has already healed her in faith. Remember, immediately, the moment she touched him in faith, her physical healing was healed. Jesus could have let her just kind of scurry off in the distance and just go off physically healed. But here's what Jesus knew. She could be physically healed but never emotionally healed from her shame she's had. So Jesus asked her to stand up and be vulnerable. And here's what we know about vulnerability. Verbalizing shame diffuses it of its power. And this is especially true, by the way, of shame in your life that, from something you didn't do but someone did to you. And this is a heavy topic, okay, let's be honest, but for but let me just address it head on. There's some of you here today, someone's done something to you that was horrific. And you've been walking in the shame of it for a long time. And it, it, listen, it wasn't your fault. One in four people we know today statistically have been sexually abused. There's family members of my family that have been sexually abused and it breaks my heart. Like I get deeply passionate about this but I get deeply passionate about your healing. And you can't act like that was way in the past, it's no big deal. You need to begin to, to, with someone you trust, begin to verbalize it. And I would say it this strongly, I believe a leading indicator of how much you've healed from any shame in your life, past or present, is how openly you can talk about it with the people you trust today. I think that's a leading indicator. And why is this so hard for so many of us? Because we see vulnerability as weakness. In fact, if I asked you today to stand on stage or get on a video and, and shoot your story to tell people one of the hardest things you've been through or some of your shame, 
How many of you would think that would place you in a, a position of weakness? You don't have to raise your hand, but almost all of us, we, we think, well, that might place me in a position of weakness, sharing something like that. And yet at the exact same time, how many of you would say this? When I hear someone share their story on this stage, you hear me or someone on a life story share their story of something really hard they went through and something maybe even shameful, how many of you thought this? That was so strong. That was so courageous of them. That was so brave. How many of you think that when you see someone share? Just raise your hand. How many of you think that? Almost all of us think that. That's why we have to, we have to flush this idea that vulnerability is weakness. Vulnerability is a strength. Now listen, you don't overshare. You know the overshares, right? You don't need to be the person that's you know, on the McDonald's you know, drive, you know, drive-thru or you walk into the, you're talking to the person at the drive-thru line going like, hey, I just wanted to let you know, thanks for the food. Um, I just filed for bankruptcy, just wanted you to know that. You, know. Because you don't need to be the oversharer, but listen, you don't have to share it with everyone, but you do have to share it with someone. And the question is, have you actually done that? Brene Brown calls this speaking your shame. And what we know from the research now, because it backs up what Jesus did with this woman, when you can speak and verbalize your shame, it begins to rob it of its power in your life. So I'm gonna challenge you today to not just turn to Jesus to take your shame and, and, and anything you feel, but to actually share it with someone else that you trust. It was two months ago I got a phone call from one of my best friends in the world, and I've known him forever. He lives in another state now, and he called me and I could tell something was wrong in his voice, and he began to tell me, Ashley, I need to just tell you something, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I had no idea, but he began to explain, he said, I just wanna speak this to you, I'm an alcoholic. For the past five years, there's not been one day that I have not had a drink of alcohol, or multiple drinks of alcohol, I'm an alcoholic. And as he began articulating this to me, can I tell you my very first thought in my mind and what I told him? I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for surfacing this because think about this. Think about the weight you've been under all these years trying to carry this yourself and all the shame you feel from it and all the things. Now you can begin to heal physically from the addiction of alcoholism but now you can also heal from the shame as you don't hide it yourself. And by the way, it's often the shame underneath us that drives us to do some of the worst things in our life. So if we don't deal with the shame, it's hard to ever overcome some of these other things. And now he's going to be able to deal with some of the shame underneath that was maybe driving and perpetuating his alcoholism. And I was just so crazy excited for him. I'm like, I'm here. You know, we prayed. You know, I'm following up with him. Last week, he flew into town, he, he, he was on a business trip, and he flew into town, and I'd, I'd seen recently his, his two-month sobriety coin. I just loved it, and as we were talking, here's what I saw in him for the first time in a long time. I saw peace, peace. When this woman comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, what does Jesus say to her? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in, say it out loud. Peace. Do you want peace in your life? 
from any shame, anything that you're dealing with? Do you want to heal? Do you want to be whole again for you, for your marriage, for your kids? You want to heal from your shame? Jesus came to heal you from your shame. But it takes doing it his way, not your way. And what do we know from the story of how we heal from shame? It's these three things. You realize Jesus is the answer. You have to have faith. You have to go all in, paper to person, all in with Jesus. And then you have to stop hiding, be vulnerable, and tell someone that you trust. Have you done these three things? Is there anything you haven't done? Let me, let me talk to someone here today. There's someone here today, you've never gone all in with Jesus and been baptized. And I'm just gonna call you, call you to give your life to Jesus. You cannot heal until you come to the one person that can heal you, and that's Jesus. And you need to go all in, repent, make Jesus the Lord of your life, and you need to be baptized. And if you haven't done that, today's the day to sign up and you let us know how we can help you with that. There's some of you today that you've, you've been a Christian for a long time, you have been baptized, but here's what you haven't done. You've never done this. You maybe told someone a long time ago, but it's so even hard for you to even speak about something you're ashamed, ashamed about today. And I'm just gonna call you out to come out of your hiding and to see vulnerability as a risk, as, not as a risk, but a vulnerability as a strength. And you don't have to tell everyone, but you need to tell someone. And for some of us here today, our takeaway is we need to be that listening ear for someone and be the hands and feet of Jesus to someone when they tell us and we tell them, oh, that is so strong of you. That's so brave of you. I'm here for you. I don't know who it is here today, but God brought someone here today because he wants to heal you of your shame. But it takes doing it his way, not your way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just giving us such a visible and tangible example of someone who had deep shame and how you came to heal them. And I pray for the man or woman here today that they know there's something in their past or present that, is, that they're ashamed of. And it's been so hard, they've been trying to deal with it on their own and I pray they turn to you today fully. I pray they would begin to articulate it to someone else, maybe a, a friend or family member, a counselor, God, we need to become vulnerable and speak our shame the same way that you had this woman do it so that it, we can be stripped of its power. And Father, you want us to heal and be whole. And we turn to you to do that so we can experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that you move and help us to take our next step of obedience today as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, will you stay where you're at for just a moment across all of our campuses? I wanna to talk to you about one thing. Um, what we know is that for the next generation, there is nothing we do for the next generation that allows them to be impacted by Jesus and make life-changing decisions for Jesus more than camp. And camps are coming up this summer. We have our CCV camps coming up, and they're life-changing. If you could be there, you would see this power of God moving. And we are doubling down on camps this year at CCV because we think there needs to be a revival with the next generation. There needs to be a revival. And here's why we know that. The last two years have been harder, I think, on kids and teenagers than any other demographic. And so as a church, we're stepping out big in faith. I'm talking big in faith. We're gonna be bold risk takers. And what we're doing is, as our 40th anniversary is this year, we are slashing the cost of camps. 
right? As, as inflation goes like crazy and you all feel it, we are actually going to have an anti-inflationary environment here at CCV, all right? The one place you're gonna feel it, all right? So what we're doing is all of our camps are slashed. For our high school students specifically, for them specifically, we're actually slashing the cost of camps. It's about five, our cost is about $500. Our cost this year, we're making what it was 40 years ago, which is $50. Now that's an unbelievable cut, but here's what that means. We're gonna, we're gonna attempt to send almost 10,000 kids and students and special needs uh, kids and students to camp this summer, 10,000. But with, with our slash costs, our cost to subsidize camps will be about $3 million. So I'm asking for your help. Because we're stepping out in faith and I want you to step out in faith. And I'm just gonna ask those of you that, that feel compelled as you pray, just pray, what will God have me give to help? And every, every dollar you give at ccv.church slash camps, you can get online and give. Every dollar you give or you can get our mobile app, it will go directly, 100% of it will go to send, send kids to camp, 100% of it. And I know some of you could give $100. There's someone here that can give a million. I'm just gonna challenge you to give whatever God calls you to give. And together, listen, we are going to see a revival this summer with the next generation. Amen? Amen. Hey, have a great week, CCV. We love you.